This episode of the Nomcast is brought to you by Bruch. Bruch is an electric toothbrush that will change the way you think about brushing your teeth. With powerful sonic technology and ultra-gentle bristles, the Bruch redefines what it means to have super clean teeth. It's like that feeling when you just leave the dentist uh, a fresh whole mouth clean every single day. Our listeners get 15% off their total purchase with the code POD15. That's P-O-D-1-5. Follow the link in the show notes and enter the code POD15 to get your exclusive discount and upgrade your oral care routine. Welcome to the Nomcast, the Netflix original movie podcast. I'm your host, Andrew Morgan. You can follow the show at NomcastPod on Twitter and Instagram, and you can check us out on the web at NomcastPod.com. All right, no time to waste today as we are bringing you not one, but two incredible interviews with Netflix original movie creators. First up, I had the pleasure of talking with Jonathan Hensley, the writer-director of the new Netflix action thriller The Ice Road, which debuts on Netflix this Friday. Hensley is known for writing such legendary action-adventure scripts as Die Hard with a Vengeance, Armageddon, and Jumanji. He also started his directing career with The Punisher and Kill the Irishman, so he's had quite the career, and I love talking about what it takes to make a great action movie. Later on in the show, you'll hear my conversation with Kimmy Gatewood. She's been a co-star of Netflix series like Glow and Atypical, and now she's making her feature film directing debut with Good on Paper, the romantic or maybe not so romantic comedy starring Eliza Schlesinger that comes out today if you're listening on the day of release. We had a fun conversation about stand-up comedy, nerdcore rap, and solving the patriarchy, so stick around for that. But up first, here's my conversation with Jonathan Hensley. Thanks for listening. I'm delighted to be joined by writer-director Jonathan Hensley. His latest film, The Ice Road, is premiering June 25th on Netflix. What an honor to be talking to you, sir, and thanks for taking the time. Well, thank you very much. Uh, you've been a prolific screenwriter for many years, writing some iconic scripts, Armageddon, The Rock, and one of my all-time favorites, Die Hard with a Vengeance, to name a few. Uh, you now have multiple films you've directed as well. How do you decide at this stage of your career how you'd like to spend your time? Like, What projects get you excited? Well, I'm not unique in saying I'm looking for... Um... I work in the action adventure genre, so I'm looking for stuff that has a good pulse to it, and, you know, a, a nice, good, um, steady beat to it, and a, a, a forward propulsion that action adventure provides. Mm -hmm. And where you you have to do character development as the action progresses with it. But one caveat: I'm just really looking for original backdrops. Right. Um, original backdrops with original characters. And if I can't find it in scripts that are floating around Hollywood, then it's my job to sit down and try to concoct it or create it myself. Right. And I've heard you talk about how your screenwriting has changed once you started directing, uh, where you write your scripts more with directing in mind. 
now that you've directed a few films, how has that process evolved for you over time? Well, I, I feel like my directorial career has been, has been slow, but steady. Um, I think that the ice road definitely represents a, a new beginning for me in that I, I think that my directorial chops now as an action um, guy, you know, a guy who can handle the toughest shoots is, is has progressed and it's finally there. Excuse my immodesty, but no, I, <laughs> I like it. Well, it's taken a long time and I've worked at it and I've directed commercials and uh, music videos and all kinds of stuff um, to, to, to get myself there technically. Right. Um, and, and so the marriage now of what I've always done, the way I broke into the, into the business, which was through writing scripts now with this, with these new chops that I have, I, I think that uh, I, I'm, I'm really looking forward to the future. So I'm, I'm looking for stuff that's technically, you know, challenging as well. And the ice road certainly was that. So, <laughs> and so when you wrote this script and knowing that you were going to, did you know you were going to direct the whole time? Did you have to try to set it up for what those chops have provided you? Uh, uh, no, this, this right from the onset, this was a, a, a write and direct job. It was, um, it was something where I went to the producers uh, of code entertainment, Al Corley and Bart Rosenblatt and say, this idea, um, there was there were a bunch there was a bunch of material floating around, right. and there were a bunch of meetings. And I said, I'm not interested in doing any of this stuff. <laughs> what I'm I'm interested in doing a remake of Clouseau's Wages of Fear, that is based in the ice road trucking industry. Right. Um, so the the Clouseau picture is these four down on your luck guys who have to take nitroglycerin over the Andes Mountains. I never wanted to do a straight re remake of that because, you know, shop worn. So I was, I was always searching for years. I was searching for sort of a, a way to do that in an original way. Right. Um, and, and this notion of doing it across the, these, uh, these frozen waterways provided that. And I was off and running. So from, it was my original treatment, my original screenplay, my original shooting draft, everything all the way. You, you don't see that you know, written and directed by credit that much anymore. Right. In feature films. So, so, so yeah, so it was right off the bat. So I was able to tailor everything for my set of skills right now, you know, and the producers were very supportive of that. So. Yeah, and especially in action-adventure films, you definitely don't get that now where it's straight whole cloth from a writer-director perspective. So congratulations on that. It's mostly uh, you know, branded IP or some kind of larger writing rooms or any of these things I'm sure you're well aware uh, with, with how it works in, in modern action, it seems like. I, I am. And I, and, uh, and I'm very pleased that you're taking note of that. I'm, I'm, I'm proud of it, you know, so it's, it's, you know, it's, it's, it's a tough one. It's not always going to go this way and nor sure. should, nor should it, but this one did. Yeah. And, and I love that you brought up, uh, the wages of fear thing. Cause I was very proud of myself watching your movie last night where I was like, you know, this seems kind of like if, <laughs> if, if sorcerer was made in kind of a late nineties, early two thousands style and, I was very proud of myself that Sorcerer was also derived straight from Wages of Fear. So I kind of gave myself a little backslap with that. What do you think about uh, like a story like this? Why do you think a story like this persists? Well, it's it's heroism. You know, it's straight, raw, rugged, 
undiluted human heroism. Right. Um, and it's and it's heroism at a cost. Mm-hmm. So it it's not it's 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 there there's no uh, there's tragedy in this film in the ice road. And their victory uh is earned and right. and and earned at a tragic cost. And I think that that is a universal human uh touchstone uh and and uh and that's why these pictures do well and they and they you know they will continue to do well i i was curious uh it was funny that uh when i was doing the research and, and when this movie all came about also at the same time earlier this year liam neeson said he is retiring from action films i was like what did jonathan hensley do to him that made him want to quit immediately uh around the same time I can tell you right now, Liam said that in the moment. He's not. <laughs> he's not going anywhere. He's he's not going anywhere from this genre. I think he'll. I think he will be more selective. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, he he is of a certain age, but he is amazingly preserved. And he and the the way that man keeps his body in shape um, as he ages, I it's to the point where I'm going to emulate it. Yeah. I, I, I found out his secrets and I'm going to, it's, it's like, it's like athletes emulating Tom Brady. Yeah. You know, I'm going to, I'm going to follow the Liam Neeson uh, regimen. Well, I mean, with all the, the polar bear swims or whatever he might've had to done on this set. I mean, maybe that keeps you youthful as well. That seems to be a, a common thing around here. Um, talking about that. I mean, this movie, what, what I liked about it, in a very I'm saying this in a loving way not in any kind of antiquated way it felt like a throwback because it had so much in terms of practical effects and a more simplified like you said a a movie with a pulse a forward direction a propulsion um, that you you don't see these kind of like straight and narrow stories like this with real real tangibility to it is that something that you set out to do Absolutely. It's it's the DNA of the script. And we got Kenworth International to give us brand new big rigs. And Kenworth International gave us uh, cabs, you know, the front cabs, which we were then able to mount on Ford F-550 pickup trucks and take all those vehicles out on the actual frozen Lake Winnipeg and film all of that driving with camera positions in the sleeper cabs. So it is all dead real. Those right. camera lenses are pointing past the actors' heads right out the side and front windshields of all the passing ice going past with the rigs in front of them. Every single shot is real. And you just don't see that anymore. You know, right. driving movies now are all done as process shots on a stage with green screen windows with the background winging past as a process shot, not For this sure. one. Yeah. No, and I I very much appreciated that. I mean, definitely, uh, you know, the Ice Road thing is ironically becoming this burgeoning thing. I know History Channel, uh, they had kind of like a big deal with Ice Road truckers, and it seemed like, you know, once those type of things out, copycat shows will come through. Is that something that interested you to to get the idea to kind of make that the change here, or were you interested in that, or was it just the the dynamics of it that interest you? Well, it's weird, you know, because I'd, I'd watched the reality show and I thought the reality show was was kind of cool. And I had even researched about it. But but it never struck me to use that 
real life world as the backdrop or, or environment, if you will, for an action adventure. It's like, duh, you know, <laughs> I, you know, I, it just, it just never got me. And then, and then all of a sudden it did. And, and it struck me. I said this, trying to find the most perilous type of environment to stage an action adventure. Nothing could be better than this. You're driving across an environment where the very road surface at any point can give way and claim your life. And, and it just, it was, uh, it was one of those things that was like, it, it was like hidden in plain sight in my imagination. It was like sitting right on my desk for a decade. And I just never, never got it. And then I, and then it, and then it, it presented itself to me to do it this way. For sure. I mean, yeah, it, it sets such a baseline for, for the rest of the film. I mean, it, you know, cause human nature, as we see in the development of the story is also going to be the ultimate variable. But yeah, when you have the baseline of those ice roads, which, you know, you doing practically too, and, and setting up those shots, it, it makes it very compelling all the way through. Thank you very much for saying it, it was all that was intended. We worked and worked and worked, you know, uh, to try to to achieve a certain, you know, uh, psychological terror effect, you know, for the audience. And thank you. To, well, thanks very much. Absolutely. Um, I'm curious about because um, you've now switched over a lot to doing the writer director thing in the last couple decades. Um, you know, and I, I, I've seen interviews with you where you're like, yeah, it would be a great idea to kind of, you know, gain a little bit more control over the project or any of these things and realizing that that's very much a myth. Do you still believe that uh, today? Well, it's funny because I, I had a lot of control on the shoot in, in the ice road and that was due to the producers to, to Al Corley and Bart Rosenblatt. And they trusted me. I'd made a picture called kill the Irishman that it didn't have much of a theatrical run, but then it just been burning it up on Netflix. And it, in fact, it cracked the top 10 during the COVID year during Netflix. It, it was, it did so well on Netflix that they actually wrote some articles about it. So it became this kind of cult film. Yeah. And, and due to that success, uh, you know, I was I was given um, I had the trust of the producers and and, um, you know, the bond company knows that I'm not going to go over budget or over schedule or anything like that. And and um, so. So, yeah, I felt I felt good about that. I didn't feel compromised or like I was making somebody else's movie or I, I it, it was it was really good that way. I, I heard an interview with David Kep. Uh, once where he said that the writing and directing process can be kind of lonely and getting <laughs> ideas from other people is very important. Um, now that you've made this new change, uh, would you agree with that sentiment? And who do you turn to uh, for criticism or advice on those type of projects? <laughs> Maybe I'll call David Kep. Hey, you know. there you go. <laughs> um, um, David's a great talent. Um, it's tough to answer. I, we all want the best ideas. We're always searching for stuff. I'll take an idea for, from the tra- uh, traffic cop. I, <laughs> I'll take it from anybody, seriously. I, I, and, and, uh, but it's just part of the process trying to achieve originality. Originality in action adventure is harder and harder these days because these concepts have been kind of rolled out and presented to the audience many times. These these tropes, if you right. will. So to try to, 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 to create originality or maintain originality, it's, 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 it's tough, but 
you know, I'm, I'm, I'm currently working on two scripts right now. I just this morning, I was banging my head against the wall saying this, these pages in here are not original enough, or it's reminds me too much of this film. And so I've got to change it. And, you know, that's what we do. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> You've also worked with some incredible directors in action film history over the years. I mean, George Lucas, Michael Bay, John McTiernan, Joe Johnson, just to name a few. What did you learn from them that maybe you've now incorporated into your own directing approach or at least how to handle yourself on set? I watched with great intent every single one of them. And I've had the great good fortune in my career of, I don't know why this has happened, but I guess, I guess, I don't know what it is. I guess I've been a team player enough so that the directors felt that I was part of the process, the creative process in a positive way, and that I wasn't going to do anything to undermine them or try to, you know, do something stupid on the set. So they've allowed me to be on the set uh, working as a creative partner. Um, and it has been a, a fantastic advantage um, developing as a director. I never thought that I was going to be directing pictures when I started. I, I thought that I was going to be a writer producer, you know, all the way in. Right. Um, so this directing thing just kind of evolved and I've gotten to the point where I now feel that I can, I can do it. And that, and that actually I'm in, in, in a lot of the scripts that I'm concocting, I think I, firmly believe sincerely believe that i'm the right director for them right. um because because i understand the material better than than anyone else and and i can you know because it's because i wrote it and and so but that that so i applaud all of my directors in the past and i'd include philip noyce in there um so i and and boy what a roster it is i yeah. that i had the fortune to work for yeah, it's uh, <laughs> I, I've labeled your your origin story as dangerously inspiring because, um, <laughs> I mean, you, you left a job as a, a mergers and acquisition lawyer uh, to pursue screenwriting, which is already very, very much um, scary for anyone to leave a job. But I would assume, you know, something as, you know, either potentially satisfying or lucrative at least uh, to, to leave that and, and move forward is is incredibly inspiring to to see someone chase a passion what advice would you give to say a burgeoning writer who's sitting at his desk at work right now listening to this conversation what would you say to them uh well this is controversial but i would say and 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 it will be seen as controversial and i don't care um the the film school i think is of negligible use I think all of these uh, screenwriting courses like the Robert McKee thing are of negligible use. Um, and I think that the best way to develop chops as a screenwriter or an idea guy, concept guy, is to just watch films, watch them and watch them, and then think about them. Think deeply about them. Think, if you watch Raiders of the Lost Ark or any of the classics, ask yourself questions like, why does it have an effect on me? Why, why am I feeling this way at moment 30, which is right. page, page 30 on a script? And why am I still interested at moment 60, which is page 60 on a script? And, and, and was my, were my nerves jangling at page 90 because, because of the uh, suspension of disbelief was so well done that I still am 
actually in in a sense in a sense of wonderment as to what's going to happen as will the protagonist win or not right. you know and and just ask yourself those questions what is the filmmaker doing to me and all the other audience members that is working so well you it requires deep analysis and you can't really learn that stuff you've got to just think about pictures why you love them, why they work, and then try to emulate that. It's it's the only way, but, but that's me. Are there certain films that you still go to, like any any go-to ones that inspire you to this point or maybe inspired you early on? Yeah, I, I uh, yes. Um, I think that Die Hard, that John McTiernan's Die I like my film that I made with John McTiernan, Die Hard with a Vengeance. As everyone knows, Die Hard with a Vengeance was the sequel to the original Die Hard right. that John made. So the first and the third are are tied together. And and while I love my film that I did and I'm biased toward it, I still view the original Die Hard as a perfect film and, and one of the finest films ever made, uh, uh, you know, uh, disregarding genre. Right. I, I think it's an absolute crystalline perfection of filmmaking. Um, I think that Raiders of the Lost Ark and and seven other films Steven Spielberg have made are just are just uh, uh, works of such exquisite, um, you know, ec- excellent technical filmmaking that you just have to go back and and, and look at them. I'll try to. Uh, oh gosh, I mean, you'd have to go back. You know, you'd have to. I, there's just so many references. You know, of the way the rollout happens. What I mean by rollout is story rollout. Yeah. You know, um, you look at Treasure of Sierra Madre for goodness' sake. Yeah. You know, um, even even a picture like Casablanca, which is more of a drama or suspense drama, it plays like an action movie. Mm-hmm. It, it it really does. It 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 has this you know, this, and there's a lot of physical action in Casablanca, but but it's not perceived as one. But that even Wizard of Oz, for goodness sakes, you know, is really an action adventure. You know, it's fantasy and all that, but the way it plays is is like a. a is like a, a a modern action picture, you know. Yeah. The, the way it rolls out. Um, but those those films require deep study, deep thought, um, to try to figure out why it is that those specific films capture the ima- the audience's imagination in the first ten minutes and then holds it for the next ninety, a hundred minutes. Um, yeah, I mean, I go back, uh, you know, when <laughs> I didn't go to film school per se, but I I was a uh, um, a video communications major and and did film studies uh, as my major and I would say you know Raiders is the is the ultimate one where I I, I any type of script that I tried to write or or did write or any of those type of things inciting action and and, and showing. One thing I I saw in an interview you did, you talked a lot about, and I just kept shaking my head like, yes, yes, I understand, was the difference between modern action and action from, say, back in the 80s and 90s when I was growing up and loved these films was action with a purpose versus action of wouldn't it be cool if we did this? And do you still see that a lot? Like, do Or are there people... 
besides yourself who are, are still champions of that older side, people who are doing it right in your eyes right now? I, I don't, I don't, I'm not going to call out any names um, because, because for the obvious reasons, that sure. I, I just can't do that anymore. No one can, nor do I want to. I, I but, but I, I can say some broad brush things about um, these two ways of doing things. And I am still appalled um, at the uh, action for ain't it cool right. uh, reasons. And I do believe that there is way too much ain't it cool action uh, being being done. Yeah. I, I, I don't like the writing of it. I don't like the execution of it. Right. Yeah. And you do find a lot of it in a certain genre of picture being made right now. Mm -hmm. And I'm not going to go there, but but it, but it's it's a lot of. A lot of film people sitting around a table, you know, giggling about, gee, wouldn't it be cool? Right. And then they stick that in the movie and it has nothing to do with character or plot or anything. But it just stuck in there just because they, they think that that would be a, a resting visual moment, we'll call it. Sure. Or, you know, suspense action moment kind of thing. Yeah, uh, but but that it doesn't serve character and doesn't serve plot, or or does tangentially. You know, they can convince themselves that it does. Um, but I'm still much more interested where the script refinement process is is so acute that you cast out every single idea that comes uh, to mind, unless it furthers dramatically furthers. The character development, the plot, all of that. I, I and I, I firmly believe that plot is character and character is plot. And if we had another hour on the <laughs> podcast, I, I'd be willing to get into that. But that in itself is the rub. Plot is character and character is plot in an action picture. And unless you understand that, you're sunk. Well, I, I appreciate that sentiment. I'm sure a lot of like-minded people will go out and seek out your film once it drops on Netflix, and, and I very much enjoyed it. So I appreciate you taking the time and, and being with me today. Well, thank you very much. It's This has been fun. I, I This has been a little bit more, um, uh, I don't know, uh, t uh, abstract and cerebral. Hey, this, there you go. That's you what know. I like. I want to. I want to get it, you know, the real facts from this, uh, the person doing the, the good stuff out there. That's what I want. <laughs> well, very, thank you very much. I really appreciate it. Hey, I'm Shamar. And I'm Andrew. We're going to be doing a deep dive on all the connected DC animated movies in their cinematic universe. Yes, I'm here to discuss the interconnected storylines and point out how jacked everybody is. And I'm here to share a deep comic book knowledge like Batman having his own sneaker line. So check out yet another DC animated podcast. Part of the Forgotten Entertainment family and coming soon wherever you listen to your podcast. Hello there. I'm Colleen. I'm Anders. And I'm Daniel. We're three nerds that met through our love of science fiction and fantasy storytelling. Of course, one of our favorites is George Lucas's signature achievement, Star Wars. And if there's one thing the internet definitely doesn't have enough of, it's nerds talking about Star Wars. So here we are with yet another Star Wars podcast, where each week we discuss one of the films in the current Star Wars canon. From the sands of Tatooine to the levels of Coruscant, we cover it all. Yet another Star Wars podcast is available wherever you get your podcast and is part of the Forgotten Entertainment family.
Thanks to Jonathan Hensley for making the time with us today. Be sure to check out The Ice Road when it hits Netflix on Friday. Now let's get to my conversation with director Kimmy Gatewood of Good on Paper. She's no stranger to Netflix, as you may have seen her in Glow or Atypical. She's also an accomplished writer, producer, and director who is making her feature-length directorial debut this week with the relationship comedy Good on Paper. I'm delighted to be joined by Kimmy Gatewood. Thanks for taking the time. Thank you so much. Yes, I indeed. Uh, I am uh, a Netflix baby for sure. I also directed uh, Babysitter's Club, Joel McHale's show. <laughs> I know. I, I couldn't list them all. I, I'm glad you did, though. Get it all out there. Be proud. I know. It's, it's uh, I, uh, uh, Netflix is responsible uh, for this suit. <laughs> <laughs> That's perfect. Uh, well, congratulations on the film and becoming a feature-length film director now. Uh, has that been a goal for you all along, even though you started in improv and acting? Yeah, you know, uh, I, I obviously have, like many of us, have a love affair with films. Um, and uh, I've always uh, done the theater. I directed plays. And I feel like, you know, that the storytelling in theater is very much like uh, feature films. It just seemed like something that was so far out of reach. And um, it's, uh, it's, it's an incredible feat to make a movie, honestly, the, the amount of uh, love and labor that goes into them. So it was a goal and I'm so excited that it finally happened. And uh, it, it's very kismet, the relationship I, I have with Eliza, because early on, uh, in my directing career, I was doing stage stuff. I was developing one person shows with stand-up comics and storytellers. And so when the script uh, was sent to me by my agent, uh, I was uh, thrilled to hear it was based on true story. You know, I like, I love a lot of comedy and uh, yeah, we, I, I pitched her my take on it and uh, it was love at first sight. So that's terrific. You're you're literally like answering all my questions right up top. So I, I should just hand it over to you. Uh, here with Kimmy Gatewood. Uh. Yeah. <laughs> you could direct anything, including my own podcast. That's perfect. I'll sorry, take it. Sorry, no. no, I will take it. Absolutely. I'm a very lazy person. Uh, I, I've actually, I'm a stand up myself, uh, was for 10 years, at least before the pandemic put it on a pause. So I appreciate mm -hmm. all that. And, and obviously I know what kind of stuff it takes uh, to do all that. So I appreciate you taking the time with comedians because we're all uh, a huge mess. And, and well, you came you from know. improv. It's not very different. <laughs> I know, you know, I did, I did do stand up for oh, 2.5 seconds. You know, I did, I did for a couple of years. Um, I, I went on the road with uh, Robert Kelly briefly and Al Madrigal. Uh, oh, wow. All right. <laughs> Obviously we, we, we are very different. Um, but uh, um yeah, I think I really found my footing in like sketch comedy and improv because like Saturday Night Live was like the ultimate goal uh, when I was younger. Uh, and, you know, like I when I just doing comedy, I did all the bringer shows. So I was like be in Times Square trying to like con people to come to stand up New York uh -huh. and watch <laughs> perform or wherever, you know, it was I think it was like a life lesson, really having to like bark out, uh, out on in, on Broadway. Yeah, just because you have to like unabashedly believe in yourself and get people in the door or you cannot perform. So you yeah. are just hustling. And that hustle has carried me through many years of this industry. Yeah. The uh, constant begging and lying will definitely set you up for a career in <laughs> acting because you're performing <laughs> constantly <laughs> to try to get people to believe in a show like, no, no, no. I, 
all these credits are completely legit. Um, yeah. <laughs> But uh, you've seen them on Conan talking about it. Not yeah, really. <laughs> sitting in the audience uh, next yeah. to the guy. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you know, you were obviously we we discussed you're on Glow uh, and did a terrific job there. That was a show that had several female directors, including uh, Claire Scanlon, who made one of my favorite Netflix original comedies, Set It Up, not too long ago, and that was her first feature film. So how was that experience helpful to you as like a budding director as well as an actress? Well, you know, being a series regular on a show like Glow, you know, or any show, you get to really like kind of observe a lot of kinds of directors and their styles. And like I had been directing, but I think the advantage to being on Glow specifically is I could pick and choose kind of what I liked about each director. Like I love Claire comes from an editing background and she is so efficient and she allows so much play on set. I just love working with her. In fact, when I went to do this movie, I, I called her and I talked to her about uh, what, like what her process was for set it up because I love, love, love that movie. Right. And so she was talking me through a couple of like helpful processes that, that she used uh, early in like developing the script, like right before and getting maximum jokes out of the script. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and, and that was awesome to be able to, to be able to call her. And that was, you know, based on a relationship at glow. Um, and, uh, and then, uh, Lynn Shelton, who uh, is no longer with us, but I she know. also, um, was a huge inspiration to me and, you know, took me under her wing when she came to set. And, uh, she, again, is another one of those that fostered play on set. And so that's what I definitely took away from them in particular. Uh, they, they really just. They really get, you know, what it's like to be an actor on set. And uh, and Lynn was an actor for a little while. And Claire obviously worked on like legendary shows like The Office, which is all about character and ensemble. So right, and you brought a lot of that to this particular movie. Like, did you are is that your style as well in terms of direction, letting especially with comedy? You know, it's it's hard to like either be a labor to like. Like The Office, for instance, you know, I would imagine is a mixture of things, even though the cuts are very precise, that you don't know if it's very improv intensive or not. How, how did you play this one, especially with Eliza being the person who wrote the script, being the lead in the in the film? Yeah, no, I mean, our relationship was awesome because we would we did some uh, some table reads. We did some uh, rehearsals in advance. So like we were able to massage the script before jumping on set because we only had 17 days to shoot it. So it was like a, like a, a shot out of a wow. cannon. Yeah. <laughs> like, shoot it. So, uh, so we worked out a lot of things uh, beforehand, which, you know, comedy is precision. It is workshopping. It is, you know, as a stand-up comic, you know, like it's just constantly getting on stage, doing it over and over and over again until you get it right. You know? So we would, we did a lot of that uh, in advance of actually shooting. But then when we got there, you know, sometimes like because of the set, because of the time, whatever it was, like something wasn't working. So I just be like, Eliza, what do you think? Like, let's do this. So we could just like rework a scene real quick and then throw it uh, uh, up on the screen. So right. I think it was a huge advantage. And I love writer performers being with myself. So sure, I think that they bring an authenticity to the role. I think that it brings out um, more connection to the character uh, right. and the story. And you can kind of give over to the, the story and be more vulnerable on, on screen, uh, which vulnerability is comedy. Yeah, <laughs> very true. I mean, and of course, there's several scenes where Eliza is actually performing stand up. So it's kind of this 
meta story. I know she mentions that it is based on a true story, or at least, you know, it says mostly, you know, everything is obviously an embellishment at some point. So when they were doing the scenes here, like, what did you want to get out of adding this commentary with the stand-up scenes? Like, kind of, it feels almost Seinfeldian, you know, obviously, where, like, early Seinfeld, they would have a scene or do a stand-up piece, and then the scene and the tone of the show episode would kind of match what did you want to do was that in the script uh the the script my first script that i read it did not have stand-up okay. um, and uh when eliza and i started talking you know it it the the character wasn't a stand-up in the first script that i read and and when we were talking about the truth of the story it's so close to what happened <laughs> uh, it, it, like there's so many things like I, I, wanted, I wanted to know all of the details. I wanted to know what the guy looked like. And like, she would talk about it and being a standup is such a part of the core of who she is. And she's so amazing at it. And I thought thematically that standup was like this character standup takes her away from uh, the people that, that she, she loves. She doesn't have like too many close friends. Like she feels like, you know, she's like missing success because she's always on the road. Like standup was the thing that, took her away and made her kind of uh, like vulnerable, if you will, to meeting this guy, Dennis, who took advantage of the fact uh, that, you know, uh, he could show up when at, at the odd hours that she was available. Right. And then it becomes, then the stage becomes the thing that empowers her ultimately, you know, people are telling her she can't do it. She's not good enough or she feels that way. And then the stage becomes the thing that she loves and where she can truly tell her story. Right. And I mean, I did, right? And you kind of go into it a little bit. I did say, uh, here are my notes, like, because it's billed as mostly a true story, like, what did you think this movie has to say about dating a comedian? You kind of alluded to some of that because as, as a stand-up myself, it, you know, at least, you know, I, I th I'm very thankful I started comedy after I got married because it is <laughs> a really tough balance to manage a relationship and that type of a career on any level uh, of success that you have with it. Yeah, man, like comedy and touring is definitely like a young person's game. Like you just got to be like this nomad just wandering around the the country, you know, yeah. just laughs like it's like a drug. You know, you're like more laughs, more laughs. <laughs> like I toured briefly with Chicago City Limits for a few years. Uh, it's an improv uh, uh, group in New York City. Uh, and I loved it. I loved seeing the country. I loved like meeting other people, but it was a group of people. It wasn't like a stand up where you are alone, yeah. you know, on the road. And um, I mean, that's, a you know, it, the movie definitely hits on like broader relationships, but specifically stand up or, or anybody who's like, like trying to make it as a stand up. It's a very lonely job. And you, you know, you rely on the, the laughs from complete strangers at all times. And you're living out of a suitcase and uh, like, where, where is home and what does home mean? What, what are relationships and what are relationships mean truly, you know? Right. So I think, uh, but I also think it's a, an awesome and important part of the process is like, you are out there, like getting to know so many people. You're like a politician. So. For sure. And, and the material rings more true because you know, it works anywhere. You're not just sitting in your own ecosystem, constantly just feeding those perspectives, you know, as a person who lives in the Northeast, you know, we can get a little inside ourselves and not <laughs> realize there's a whole other country out there to deal with. Yeah. I like that standups like have to 
like really be out there failing a lot of the time. And that's a very admirable thing, you know, much like baseball players who publicly fail all the time. They yes. swing hard <laughs> and constantly miss the ball in yeah. front of millions of people. So I think it's a pretty awesome to, you know, just put yourself out there, put yourself alone on stage and fail. For and sure. And Eliza, she's a great example. You know, obviously she's super hardworking and she's made such a big career for herself with stand up. Uh, and even the roles she's been getting in the last couple of years have been for for acting has been more frequent and quite impressive. I thought she was a standout in uh, her more energetic role with Spencer Confidential that came out uh, last year and then followed it up with Pieces of a Woman, which is way more like solid and more subtle. What do you think? You know, now that you've worked with her on this film, what do you think makes her successful as an actress? I think she is incredibly hardworking. I mean, the, like she, she comes prepared um, and also truly just makes such bold choices. And it's a joy to work with actors who make strong, bold choices because you're starting there and then you can start to have fun with that. Right. So she, she brings, she brings like, preparedness and flexibility which is the perfect combination for an actor yeah and having margaret cho there's got to be pretty great too with having someone who's gone through the all the paces you know between stand-up acting you know creating something whole cloth in like her own show type and everything what did she help with either you or everyone on set i mean she is so secure with who she is as a person and her voice and like when she steps on set, there's this this unbelievable confidence and calm that she brings. Yeah, and it's uh, she's a legend. She's a living legend. She's like a trailblazer. She broke down so many barriers, and uh, she brought an authenticity to this role that uh, I don't think anyone else could have played. And the fact that she kind of represents this uh complete other side of comedy and stand-up you know it's like this like old school nude school even though Eliza's been at it for a long time you know but right it's like you know Margaret's one of those people who like paved the way for a lot of people to come through so it was I mean she's she's unbelievable yeah and and it's hard out there uh especially for for female comedians I, I see it all the time in terms of the double standard of things and and how things have come along over the years, even in just the the 10 years I've been doing stand-up. And, you know, those are two shining examples of big, large success stories that you have in this film. Uh, but they also, in the film, you, you have a kind of a, a drunken heckler type that kind of brings out something, you know, kind of those the ugly side of a lot of those things. Did you experience that a lot yourself? Like the whole like women aren't funny and having to overcome those things. I'm sure obviously Eliza and Margaret did as well. Yeah. Yeah. Unfortunately. Yes. I think most uh, women in comedy, I, I won't say most, but we, I certainly have uh, dealt, dealt with it, you know, like that the the infamous article women aren't funny came out like while I was in the midst of my comedy career uh and you know I was told by like my boss one time he's like well you know if you were a man I'd probably not let you perform here but since you're a woman we need diversity so and I was like <laughs> wow thanks uh, for the vote of confidence right <laughs> uh, uh which was uh incredibly uh a awful way to uh step on stage with that person yes <laughs> um 
but you know, it was like the little, uh, it, you know, it, it comes, goes everything from just like, you know, ne- now's for something up next, a lady's going to perform like when you're coming on stage. <sighs> yeah. you no, know, it's just all of, it's all of just those little just pokes and prods or, uh, uh, unfortunately, I like to say character building, but it still makes me mad. That right. I have to deal with it. Was it important? <laughs> a lady director. <laughs> was it important to you to keep that in the film, though, to ha- make sure that was part of the message? Well, you know, yeah, I mean, uh, that that was uh, Eliza and I like she wrote that scene and I think it just resonated for me like it's like let's like she's a very hard-working successful person but like let's not forget that there's always gonna be like there, there's other things like th- that uh come along with like the success you're also gonna have to deal with uh like weird sexist stuff and I think that actually happened to her so she it's just like verbatim right like somebody said so yeah. like there's a lot of truth in the story and uh, you know, it's, I think it's important to show the good truth, the bad truths and everything in between. Absolutely. Um, especially as a, like you said, it's such a true story and, and it stayed true this whole time. Unfortunately, there are bad sides to it and I'm glad, you know, I'm glad that's fiction in the story, but unfortunately, yeah, it does happen far too often. I've seen it and it's, it's not fun to deal with. Um, but I did want to end on something fun instead of talking about uh, stuff like that, of course. The patriarchy and sexism? Why not? Yeah, you know. <laughs> we'll solve it right now. Um, yeah, yeah, let's do it. Let's, let's get to work. Yeah. <laughs> um, you were a co-director of a documentary called Nerdcore Rising, uh, centering yeah. around like nerdcore rappers around that time, like MC Frontalot and the like. And I'm partial to people more like MC Chris or Two Skinny Jays. I'm a fan of myself. Do you have like a favorite nerdcore artist or song from that period? <laughs> oh my God. Uh, there was a man, there was MC Frontalot saying this song called Goth Girls that I could not get out of my head for <laughs> legit 10 years. I think it, I just love it. He's like, Goth Girls are the girls that go to keep the nerdcore rapper with the geeked out show. <laughs> <laughs> I loved it so much. It was so great. Now, do you think you can take someone like him on in a rap battle, considering you've now done a rap battle in character yourself, uh, the whole <laughs> Hillary Clinton versus Trump thing? He's always going to be a superior rapper than I. Uh, <laughs> uh, he's he's very quick-witted and uh, very fast. Um, I just do it for laughs. <laughs> but hey. he... Uh, uh, that was that was a really that was a that was a fun time uh, going on tour with him and uh, you know we raised like uh, twenty thousand or fifteen thousand dollars. I taught myself how to operate a camera and run sound, and we made this movie that eventually went to South by Southwest. It was it was quite quite the independent film journey. Um, yeah, I- and uh, met Weird Al, begged and begged and begged and begged and begged for months and months <laughs> if he would do an interview, and finally he said yes. It was amazing. <laughs> It's a dream of mine. You're living the dream right now. So I, 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 uh, I'm astonished Just keep at that. Begging. Here's my advice. Just yes. keep <laughs> Will do. Um, well, thank you so much for taking the time today. And, you know, again, congratulations on the film. I hope it, you know, does as well as, I mean, you have 6 million downloads of just that Hillary Clinton, Donald Trump rap. I think you can exceed that and then some with the quality you have here. So we got to get top 10, baby. We got to get top 10. <laughs> oh, easy. I mean, anything Eliza does on there is just boom up. And then obviously adding your own skills. We'll get there. 
Thanks, buddy. I appreciate it. Thanks to Kimmy Gatewood for being on with us today. Be sure to check out Good on Paper, which is out right now on Netflix. And thanks to all of you for listening today. And maybe think about subscribing if you don't already or giving us a nice review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you're listening right now. See you next time. 